Good morning and welcome to Talking Books. Now the world seems a bit at odds with itself at the moment and the weather does too and uh, I've come to the conclusion that the only thing and the only certainty in life, something that we can rely on is that there are wonderful writers out there who can offer us the opportunity to escape even if it's only for a short while. Now today I welcome into the 10 Radio Studio author Elizabeth Ducey. Elizabeth trained as a scientist and worked in an in, in the international pharmaceutical industry. I knew I'd trip up on that one. Uh, for nearly 30 years before deciding she wanted to take a complete change of direction. More of that later, I hope. She gave up the day job, began studying the craft of creative writing and now writes fiction more or less full time, which is a lot of... I mean, a lot of us would like to write fiction more or less full-time, I think. She's written full-length novels, short stories, and a series of books on the practical business of writing. So welcome, Elizabeth. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Um, now, before we get on to your writing, I just wondered whether when you were working for uh, working as a scientist, obviously in a high-powered job, whether you had any time for creative writing, whether it's something you've always done. I did some creative writing when I was a teenager. I, I won a competition when I was 14. It was my, my first overseas trip, and I have to say it was wasted on me. I completely <laughs> hated it. Um, so I didn't really do any more creative writing for the next 40-odd years. But I've all throughout my career, I have written. I was a technical writer, and I was writing textbooks and training manuals and training programs and things like that. So I, I've written millions of words throughout my career. And it was only really when I'd been, as you said, in the pharmaceutical industry for about 30-odd years, that I, I decided, because I'd, I'd done so much travel and I'd got so many anecdotes, that I, I wanted to try and get some of them down. Um, and so I, I looked at doing life writing, mm. um, and I actually found, yeah, it was okay, but... I was. I found that I was much better at taking real situations and real incidents and putting them into fictional settings. So I started with the short stories and then went from there to the novels. So were you? So basically, you had to really take a, a leap from the job um, to become what you wanted to be, which was a creative writer. Very much so. Yes. I mean, that's yeah. a brave step, isn't it? It. I don't think I realised how big, <laughs> a big a step it was at the time. And one of the things that I had to unlearn was um, that when you're a scientist, when you're, when you're in a, a, the sort of job I was doing, which was auditing factories and auditing designs mm. and things, you never write opinion, or you very rarely write yeah. opinion. It's all fact. Yes. And one of the, the, um, the things I did in order to try to improve the creative side was I did an MA at Exeter oh, so University. I was going to ask you about that. And um, I, was, I had one of my tutorials with Philip Henscher mm. one day, and he was looking at one of the essays I'd written, and he said, thing is, Elizabeth, you've got to learn to be more discursive. So I said, OK, Philip, yes, certainly, I'll do that. And I went home and grabbed the dictionary because I hadn't the faintest <laughs> idea what he meant. For our listeners, what does discursive mean? Well, it was that I had to, I had to get used to giving opinions in, yeah. in, the, in the essays and not just put down the facts. Yes. And that, so that was one of the, the biggest and changes. And so you would actually say that the, the, 
learning your craft was really important the actual formal learning setting because some people say don't go on creative writing courses you'd be best off just sitting and writing and other people say no I really had to understand what it was that was needed to write good fiction yes I think you do you do need to learn the craft whether or not the MA was the right place for me to do it I think is a different question because I I signed on for the MA for a specific reason which was I'd written the first four or five chapters of Gorgito's Ice Mm. Rink and for about four years I had played around with it I'd um, changed the the order of the chapters I'd polished all the words and I'd got no further with it so I signed on for the MA to give myself a structure I had two years where I had set essays, set assignments every couple of months, and I used that as a structure. And I thought, if I can finish this novel in two years, by the end of the course, then that'll be fine. If I can't, then I'll know I'm going to stick with short stories. Yes. And they are actually quite different disciplines, aren't they, in some senses? Yes, very much so, yes. Yeah, the, the... they're short stories in my opinion because I, I used to go to a reading group called Reading Matters where we were had a short story read to us each each time mm-hmm. and um, understanding how to um, use the fewest words to say the most yes is a really good I mean it's next to poetry isn't it in, it in, is in absolutely yes. yes how did you, how did you um, decide that you know maybe you could extend certain stories or did you have discrete stories that you felt were novels and others that you felt were short stories um with your yes tell me about the the ice rink one yes. i can't pronounce the title gorgito's ice rink it is gorgito's, yes. gorgito's ice rink Gorgito's Ice Rink came from um, a couple of things, really. Gorgito is a, a Georgian businessman living in Russia, and he is based on someone, the first uh, Russian I ever worked for when I went out there. And my, my uh, well, he was Georgian as well. The, the real person was called Harriton Davrishvili, and he had this um, ambition to build an ice rink because... The skaters, uh, he lived in Kostroma, which was north-west north, uh, of um, Moscow. And the skaters had the, um, the river during the winter, but they had no facilities during the summer, so they, they, they couldn't train. And he wanted to build an ice rink to train Olympic stars. And unfortunately, he died before he was able to do anything about it. So I thought I would build his ice rink for him. I know. I knew there was a lovely story. I looked into it a little bit more just before this show. And I thought, oh, there's such a lovely story behind that one. But, um, and that was your first, wasn't that it? Was, that was the first novel, yes. And I, I started writing it during NaNoWriMo, which is a November um, challenge for writers every, every year. Um, and the challenge is to write 50,000 words. And this was back in 2006. And I wrote, I think I wrote about 8,000 and then ran out of, out of uh, steam. And basically I was, I was writing incidents and, mm. and, and scenes. And as I say, I didn't get much further with it. And then when I did the MA, I learnt to do 
uh, scene treatments, which is what you you do for screenplays, but also works as plot for plotting novels. Mm. Um, and I use it for all my novels. I I, I write all the scenes so I know what's going to happen in in each of them. Um, so that that came. But this this book took me eight years to <laughs> to write. But it was it was always going to be a novel, not a not a short story. Not a short story. Counterfeit started out as a short story because uh, when I did the MA, one of the assignments I wasn't allowed to use Gugita's Ice Rink for. Right. I was told, no, I had to write something new. Right. So I wrote uh, a 6,000-word short story about counterfeit yes. medicines, and then I took that and it grew. I mean, th- th- it's going to. It's a thriller, isn't it? It's a thriller, and it's the part. It's the first part first of a three-part series. Three and part you, series. You're working on the second one now. Yes, the the second one's called Deception, and that's with my beta readers at the moment. And the third one is Corruption, and I'm working. I'm I'm starting Already the thinking process. On the third one, because it's um, it's set in Africa, isn't it? I mean, yes. you you do use. Um, you know, really quite exciting and challenging locations, don't you, mm. in your work? Why did you choose to write about Africa? There were two things that triggered this. Um, I, I worked in, in southern Africa uh, on Commonwealth Secretariat projects uh, in the early 2000s, and that's when this book is set in 2004, 2005, which is when mm. I was working out there. And the two things... Um, one of them was was something I, I wasn't involved in directly, but the the lady who runs the medicines inspectorate in Nigeria mm. lost her sister, who was a diabetic, um, and she took fake insulin yes. and and died. And as a result of that, that woman started a campaign to try to to break the the counterfeits because right. there is a it is a huge problem. And she suffered, she's had so many problems since she's had death threats, she's had to move the family out of the country, she's had real, real uh, mm. issues with it. And I wanted to sort of write something to sort of acknowledge what she'd done. Yes. The other thing was something that did actually happen to me. I was sitting in a meeting with a Minister of Health in one of the, the countries in Southern Africa one day. We were out there to try to get the countries to work together so that all their regulations would be the same so that you could have um, trading between the countries because what's happening is African, all the African nations are spending billions of dollars that they haven't got to bring drugs in from the West or from the developed world I should say and if they and if they only had equal regulations across the country you've got some very good factories in uh, in the region and if they could work together they wouldn't have to spend all that money so we were there trying to get them to look at their regulations and this minister of health looked me straight in the eye and said well that's all very well but i can't afford to worry about the quality of drugs i've got all these people for whom i need to supply medicines and if some of the medicines are not as good as they should be i'm afraid that's just what happens and at the time of course I was absolutely horrified and then I went away and I thought you know what 
he's got a point. He's, you know, he's... It's the reality. It is the reality. Mm. Uh, Not everything is black and white. Nothing, it's not all as clear-cut as we tend to think it is sometimes. So those were the two things that that started me writing about Africa. Fiction is a great way of bringing that sort of dilemma out, isn't it? Yes. That sort of, almost is, because we know that, really, to write good fiction, you're taking your characters on a journey through the book. I mean, that journey in inverted commas mm. but it literally is whether it's a road trip or whether it's it's self-discovery often yes and so having a dilemma like that you know maybe feeling actually very strongly about something at the beginning and learning actually that there's a different reality out there I mean it's a it's a, a great way of, of, of formulating your own mm. thoughts about things in a sense isn't yes it? and the the next one then is it's there are, all three books are about the same three uh, female protagonists. Mm-hmm. I love the, the way they're female. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it's just we just need that. It's either it, at the moment it seems it's griplet, which is sort of a, a drunk oh, woman doing terrible things. Yes. And being, so all her awful behaviour is is explained by being drunk, and you, you know, or it's hard nosed police women who are mm. you know having to work hard in a man's world and having to behave like men in order to get somewhere so it's great and again are drinking too much yes yes, <laughs> yes it's yes. great to have female yes. protagonists well, i i pinched the idea from james patterson oh, and right. the, the he has a series called the women's murder club Right. which is set in the states um and it's four very strong women there's a polit- there's a, a a detective um a district attorney uh, a journalist and a forensic scientist and they have a, a sort of informal they're, they're all friends and they have this informal club and when when the detective can't get any further with the case she gets together with her mates and they they sort of work right. work through it um James Patterson. They're, they are it's a it's a really good series of of novels and when i read that i thought yeah i'd like to do something similar but obviously set um well part they they are british women but they yes. they're traveling so the second the second one is is set in latin america and, and then that's the, called De- and that's called deception Section. and then the third one which would be called corruption is back in russia right um and there's each each of the books has standalone stories but there is one overarching theme which goes through to the end of the third book i'm going i'm going to sound because um now see I've, i can't remember is, is it a soft g on georgie gorgitos gorgitos ice ring i'm going to sound pretend no it's not pretentious but i've been reading Chekhov's short stories and um i finished a book of them last night and that's when i was i was saying to you that i wished i'd started with that one of mm. your books because there's in the Chekhov books, there's a lovely Russia's a wonderful backdrop. It is for, for stories, and you can, I don't know, the weather, the all sorts of things mm. can can really add a sense to the to the well. Actually, you know, really become a character in the story yes, itself. Very much so. Yes, Gorgito has has to fight corruption, bureaucracy, mm. financial financial meltdown, and the climate. Yes, and uh, yeah, the, there are the, the climate is is an incredible feature of of, uh, of life out there. Yes, yeah, I know. It was it, it was just something that made me think about it last mm. night. That it is a wonderful setting for for yes. stories, and so I will go away and definitely read that one now. Um, you're going to read us a little bit from Counterfeit, aren't you? Yes, I am. Um, yeah. 
Shall we just give the... Uh, I'll, I'll just write the, the... Read out the little bit of blurb that comes with the book I've got from from the Amazon yep. page. Is that all right? Yep. It's, it's Regulator Suzanne Jones. I like a Suzanne in the story. I'm a Suzanne. <laughs> yes. A mission to stop counterfeiting in Africa becomes personal when a colleague buys a bottle of fake cough syrup with tragic consequences. But her investigations bring danger ever closer. In Uganda, a factory burns, Suzanne's friend goes missing, and in Swaziland and Zambia, children die. So you're going to read a little paragraph from the prologue. Okay, and it's the, the prologue is actually um, from the, the point of view of uh, Kabwe, who is the who actually is the guy who's making the making the counterfeit drugs, mm. um, and he's being forced to do it by um, a gang and they've just visited him and given him the next order and the labels and, and told him what he has to do. Mm-hmm. Just before the men drive away, they hand Cabway an envelope stuffed with stained and greasy banknotes. Now he'll be able to pay the filling team. Now he'll be able to buy supplies on the way home. Now his mother will be able to keep her appointment at the clinic. The men had told him the American company wouldn't mind. They sell medicines all over the world, they said. They won't miss a few sales in Africa, they said. You're helping people get hold of medicines they couldn't normally afford, they said. It's a public service, really, they said. Cabway sits slumped in his office, too tired to move, and tries to still the doubts flying around his head. He glances at the dispatch instructions for the latest batches of cough syrup. There are six names on the list. Three government purchase houses, two regional hospitals and a large distributor. They are spread across Angola, Malawi, Zimbabwe and Tanzania. He is relieved, as always, to see his own country missing from the list. Not his people, not this time but one day he knows it will be their turn. It's, it's shocking, isn't it? Mm. And mostly it's shocking because we know it happens. Yes. It's, it might be fiction, but you're fictionalising a, a situation that is prevalent. And, yes. And also, you know, that the developed world is complicit in, in it sense. Very much so, yes. The, um, the, the particular counterfeits here are... Uh, cough syrups for children which are laced with um, antifreeze because uh, it's it's similar to one of the ingredients that goes in but it's but it's cheaper Um, and it's it has happened there have been a number of uh, incidents one of them was in China and one was um, on one of the Caribbean islands I believe over the years mm-hmm. and children have died because yeah. of, because of it and it is a huge problem and I, I was looking the figures up the other day as I said this was set in 2004 and here we are 13 years on and the problem is actually bigger than it was then mm-hmm. not not smaller and one of the things that's making it worse is mm-hmm. that these days people buy drugs on the internet, internet. because yeah. they think they're cheaper they're cheaper for a reason yeah. So yes, it's. Uh, I know it's. I mean, I, the the the. Um, I I'd had to admit to Elizabeth that I hadn't finished Counterfeit, um, not because I couldn't finish Counterfeit. I hasten to add, <laughs> I just hadn't finished it. But the the um, 
it's one of those books you think everybody should read because we can we all kind of take for granted the fact that we go to our chemist and we moan a bit about the prescription charge but actually mm-hmm. the cost of these drugs is enormous isn't it it is it is huge um, and so african countries find it very difficult to afford the, yes. the huge prices that that developing countries anyway we'll start getting on a political rivals here (laughs) (laughs) but it's it is a wonderful book and it's a great way to highlight what is a is a really important subject and you know if you're taking that forward to a to a a trilogy Mm -hmm. i hope it goes you know the 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 three books together go really well because i think it's a i think it's a wonderfully important subject um now you've also written a series of books to support authors who yes. are looking to so now elizabeth and i have had a an interesting five minutes conversation sitting outside uh, waiting to come on today about independent publishing and mm-hmm. how important it is that um people who want to write can find an audience for their work and yes so your, these books were to help would-be writers make sure they start off on a good footing weren't they that's right a, a lot of uh writers do courses or write books about about the craft of writing um i don't feel in any way qualified to do that i'm i'm still learning and i think i will continue to to learn Mm. um but i have run my own small business with my husband for the last 20 odd years so I do know about business systems and I know about um, being a small business person and writers particularly self-published writers but all writers in fact Mm. are are in business and are small business people and I know that when I talk to some of my writing friends and I talk to them about finance systems and doing your accounts and VAT and stuff like that, they all go, oh, can't, no, can't be doing with that. Um, so what I wanted to do was to write some books, which uh, a series of books, which give a simple roadmap for the 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 quickest, easiest way to set up your systems. Mm. They don't have to be complicated. You don't, I mean, no. I, when I was running uh, a, a consultancy, uh, we had a limited company, we were VAT registered, we had Sage accounts, we had the whole lot. Yes. Now I am just just doing the, the writing. Um, I've gone back to being self-employed. I'm not VAT registered and I use Excel spreadsheets. Yes. And it takes me a couple of hours a month to, mm-hmm. to keep it going. So the, these books actually started off as training workshops that I did at Swanick, the Writers Summer School right, in yeah. August. Um, and I, I did those over a number of years. Then I, I used them as blog posts. And then I decided the sensible thing to do would be to put them together in a series of e-books. Yeah. Um, there's three at the moment, one on uh, setting up in business and the sort of questions you have to ask yourself before you... Um, mm take the plunge and and become a a full-time business person second one is about finance systems and then the third one is about effectiveness about time management and planning and stuff like that and I'm currently planning the next one in the series which is about self-publishing but about the the practicalities of it yes and there are um there are I would say probably millions of articles (laughs) out there about self-publishing but actually having them neatly 
proceed for you and and the the getting down to the to the really basics mm. um is of the business side of writing yes is so important because i think i don't know that many writers whose business head is as good as it could no. be possibly so i would recommend um i could recommend elizabeth's series because you know it's never too late to go back to basics and find Absolutely. out where you've slipped up <laughs> doing your self-assessment sort of last minute and all that kind of yes you know the the writer's life i know it always sounds a bit sort of cliched but you know it's, it's actually quite a tough one isn't it mm. it's, it, it requires a lot of discipline and we need more of it i think yeah to be honest so i would heartily recommend elizabeth's books on her on the business of writing now as always as i said you know 25 minutes has flown by um now uh elizabeth has along with um her novels she's also got a range of short story books haven't you yes so if you'd like to tell people how they can find out more about you and maybe spell your surname for people like me you're a Yes. The, the well the best thing to do is to go to my my website, website yeah. uh which is uh uk, and my surname is spelled D U C I E. The number of people throughout my life who've put an L into it is oh. uh, because it Ducey is actually my maiden name. Right. Um and so many people throughout my life have called me Dulcy, but it's not, it's Ducey. So it's www.elizabethducey.co.uk. And there's links there to all the books, and it, it they're available both as paperbacks and as um, e-books, mm. and there's links to all the various ways. The business book, I got it as an e-book, and it's, it's yes. certainly the, the very useful way of, of having it because you've got all the all the background information yes. in there as well haven't you so um yes do go and check out elizabeth's website it also tells you a little bit more about elizabeth and the and the work she does um and all i can say is thank you for coming all the way to see us today thank elizabeth you for having me in devon and uh, you know it's it's been great to have a talk about what is a very important subject to write mm. about um, but they're also great thrillers. So, you know, and um, Gorgito's Ice Rink is one that I'm going to read with great interest now. Um, so thank you. And you've chosen a track to end with. I don't know if you've got a particular reason for choosing it. Do tell us. Um, I have because um, my husband is and has always been a great supporter of everything I do. He is my harshest critic, but my fairest critic. And I always, you know, if I give him anything and he likes it, then I'm, I'm happy with it. Um, and he he's a bit of an iconoclast and uh, a bit of a rebel and <laughs> very cynical about things. And this, I think, in a way, sums him up. Thank you ever so much for coming, Elizabeth. It's Thank you for having me. Every metal thunder 
Yeah. 